In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has come into our lives in order to give us forgiveness and 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 forgiveness everlasting. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. So our dog normally eats Ol' Roy dog food. Bet you're wondering where I'm going with this. Our dog, Bear Dog, uh, as she's lovingly referred to, that's not her real name. Her real name is Barracuda Dog Winters, um, uh, but we shorten it to Bear Dog uh, for several different reasons. And she eats Ol' Roy dog food. At least she did. Because after the hurricane, Ol' Roy dog food seemed to have been picked up by the hurricane and sent someplace else. We can't find it. And we couldn't find it, and she was getting low on food, and so we started looking. And we started, we knew that Bear Dog doesn't like the green bits in the dog food, so we had to find uh, dog food that didn't have the green bits, because like our children, they don't like the green bits. (laughs) And so we finally came upon a Purina bag of dog food. Now, Purina is an interesting, uh, interesting company. They, they actually are based in St. Louis, where I spent a little bit of time. And uh, if you live in St. Louis, you, you actually kind of get to know the Purina company. You get to know um, uh, that, that the Purina company is, is, uh, is headed by, by kind of these interesting uh, sort of uh, North Star senses of, of morals and ethics and, and all sorts of, of interesting stuff, at least they were, they, they were uh, created by the Danforth family. And the Danforth family is, is well known throughout St. Louis. And uh, the, the Danforth family um, uh, really came into itself with uh, the founder of the Purina Company, whose name was William Danforth. And William Danforth was not only somebody who started a dog food company, um, uh, but also was somebody who was sort of ahead of his time in, in the self-help world. He started writing um, self-help books, and, and the, the reason that he did that was he felt like, hey, I have this stuff that made me, you know, get to a point where I was creating a company, uh, kind of out of nothing. And I want to share that with other people. I want to share my perspective and, and what makes me do all of this great stuff with other people. And so he, he wrote books. He actually um, establishes established like 12 different chapters apples at universities throughout the United States because he thought that that was an important part of what made him who he was. And he was this this real go-getter. And and in fact, the whole Danforth family out of William's line really went and did a lot of great things. Not only did they keep the dog food company running so that Bear Dog can have food today, But they spawned off university presidents, they spawned off uh, captains of industry, they spawned off uh, leaders of higher education, they spawned off senators and, and leaders of government and all sorts of interesting stuff. And a part of what the Danforth family says made that happen was that William Danforth, their sort of progenitor, their Abraham in their story, well, he stole something. He stole a motto. He stole this motto that was the motto of the camp that he went to as a kid and that he forced 
pretty much the first and second generation after him to go to. And this camp had this motto. The motto was, the best of who I am all of the time. The best of myself. Ah. (laughs) My own self at my very best all of the time. Some of you say I never look at my manuscript. Now you've seen it. The best of myself. (laughs) My own self at my very best all the time. My own self at my very best all the time. Now, you, you, you listen to that, and I don't know about you, but that sort of gives me heart palpitations to think about actually being that, right? And yet the Danforth family says, hey, this is the secret to our success. This is what makes us who we are. It's striving after these things. It's, and, and they even like talk about how there's, there, even though it sounds like it's all law, they, they actually bring in what we would call gospel into that. They, they say, well, this is about being my own self. This isn't about being somebody else. This is about being my own self. And so I'm not going to compare myself to other people. I'm just going to be my own self. And I'm going to be, you know, at my very best. And they'll say, you know, this is at my very best. That doesn't have to mean that I'm at somebody else's very best. You know, it, it even means that sometimes I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to not be able to complete everything that somebody else is going to be able to complete, and that's okay. And all of the time, I mean, I think that's one of the ones that we're like, oh boy, you know, I think that I can maybe be my best self uh, every other Tuesday or so. Um, but all of the time, are you kidding me? That's crazy. And so we react to this and we, and we go, okay, well, maybe not that. Um, you know, m- maybe we want something else. And so we start thinking about, well, what would the opposite of those things be? You know? Um, so instead of my own self, it would be sort of this, well, generalized picture of humanity, right? So, like, I'm a human would be how you would sort of encode that, right? So, I'm a human. And then instead of at my very best, you know, a sort of average human. And then all of the time... You could say, well, occasionally doing good and bad things. And we listen to that, and we maybe have the same sort of sickening reaction to that as what we did with the Danforth comment, right? We're kind of like, ah, I don't want to just be average. I don't want to be a Danforth. You know, I I don't want to have to think about being my best self all of the time, but I also, well, I I don't want to just be, just sort of this average member of the human race. I want something, I want some pizzazz to my life. And that's where we're stuck a lot of the time. It's sort of counterbalancing between those things and going, well, you know, who, who am I in this world? And I think, you know, that's sort of our entrance point into the two stories that we have in the Old Testament and the, the gospel reading today. 
we, we have, you know, kind of this entrance point into understanding, you know, who these people are and what's going on with their lives, right? So you have two widows and two widows that are put in pretty extreme circumstances, right? So what we know about the widow of Zarephath is that uh, she has basically just, you know, just a little bit of food left. And we don't know, you know, what her plans are with that food. But we know that a part of those plans are that she is going to make the rest of her food. And then, um, you know, she is planning on dying with her son sometime later. So this is last meal. And she's, she's getting ready for that. She's getting ready to make her last meal with her son so that they can have that and then they can go die. Well, that's an interesting story, right? It's a story that none of us really want to be in, but it's a story where you go, okay, what's going on with her? And why is she choosing to make the decisions that she's making? Why is she choosing, in some ways, to give up? You know, there's a part of us that wants to judge the widow, saying, oh, you already have your mind made up that you're going to die. And you don't even know that Elijah's here and you're going to have all of this food. And we kind of get judgy about that, right? Like, widow, no faith widow. But... That's her reality. That, that's, you know, she doesn't have any way of knowing anything other than that. Until this guy Elijah comes up and he says something that's jarring. He's like, hey, you know, that last peanut butter and jelly sandwich in your cupboard, can I get a quarter of that? And she wants to say, no. Seriously, who do you think you are? And so then we fast forward, you know, centuries to the New Testament. And we have this widow who is there, and she is giving the very last two coins that equal a penny. And we don't really get judgy about her. We just go, hey, that's awesome. That's great. Who we get judgy about is the scribes. And for real, we have reason. I mean, Jesus is kind of beating up on them, right? We get judgy about those scribes that are like, well, let me write out a check for 1% of my wealth and drop that in the offering box so that other people can see it. And Jesus tells us, well, don't be like those people. Now, we can get judgy about them and we can say, hey, you know, they're doing this for all of the wrong reasons and yada, yada, yada. But if we just suspend judgment for a moment, if, we're, if we want to give the scribes a break, why are they doing that? Well, Jesus actually kind of tells us that. They're, they're the products of a, a really sort of sickening system, right? So the sickening system says that uh, you know, scribes are, are sort of people that you look up to. They're the people that you look up to because they get high-fived in the marketplace all of the time. They're like, yeah, scribe! And they get to wear long robes and they get places of honor because they pray really long. 
And we're like, hey, you know, that's just not uh, culturally, you know, there's something in between there. Because if we pray long, people are like, hey, I really want to get to lunch. <laughs> and so we've, we've got this kind of, what's going on here thing. And the scribes are a product of that. The scribes are, are doing this because they are getting people applauding them for devouring widows' property, is what Jesus says. And so this widow who comes up and gives her last two coins, you almost see the line between those two things. All of a sudden you go, you hate the scribes even more then. You're like, oh, the scribes. But what's going on there? What's going on there is that the scribes are acting out of this sense of this is what it means to be somebody who is very important. This are the, these are the people that we hold up as the people that we are going to laud as a society. The people who can drop a check and it's going to have a lot of quantity rather than a lot of quality. And that's where Jesus flips the script with the widow. He says, that widow, you should pay attention to that widow because she may not have given a lot. Her two pennies aren't going to mean a whole lot in the capital campaign that the temple is running in order to build a new fellowship hall. But in terms of the percentage, it's huge. Which brings us back to that question about what kind of a person do we want to be and do we want to be like a widow? Because the widow, unfortunately, looks a lot like a Danforth. Right? We don't like that because that's hard. It's really hard. When we even think about doing that, we get depleted. When we even think about giving even close to a fraction of what that widow gave, either in money or in time or just in terms of our lives, we get depleted before we even do that. You go, ah, I don't want to do. I don't want to give. But here's the thing. The gospel here is that you, you don't have to. Now that doesn't mean that the gospel is that you shouldn't want to. That's a different thing. But the gospel here is that you don't have to. That those scribes can go to heaven. That those scribes could be in the resurrection if they believe in Jesus alongside that widow. And they're all a part of the same sick, sinful society. They're all a part of the same weird thing that is our sinful world. And you are too, by the way. So some of you in here are feeling really depleted, and some of you are feeling really self-righteous. And we all get to go to the same resurrection. No matter how badly you are judging somebody else right now in your heart, 
No matter how badly you're saying, oh, that person. Or no matter how badly you're saying, oh, that person. And pointing to yourself. No matter how badly depleted you are, no matter how badly depleted the other person is, you're never completely. Because there is a sacrifice. A sacrifice that the writer of Hebrews talks about. A sacrifice that was done once and for all. A sacrifice that was done by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who promises that you will never be depleted. Who promises that you will always be able to give of yourself. That that will never reach zero. That you will always go to the flower pot or the oil jar. And you will always be able to find flour and oil. You may always be able to find energy. It may not be there right away, but you will see it. You will be able to live a life that has the sort of inspiring content of saying the best of who I am all of the time. Not because you're so awesome, not because you have so much inside of you, but because Christ has given you forgiveness, that Christ has forgiven you of all of your problems, that when you bring a sin to him, when you bring a malfunction to him, when you bring a dysfunction to him, when you say, Lord, I'm judging people, or when you say, Lord, I just don't feel like I've got anything more, he comes in and he forgives that, he fixes it, he makes it better, and he says, now, go! Be the best of who I made you to be. And you can do that for all of time. Because what I've got for you will never run out. Amen.